With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For the better part of five months now, we've been opening this show like you would any other podcast or any other radio program with a nice introduction welcoming you in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. But we're not doing that tonight because tonight is a is a different night. It is Monday, August 27th at 11.20 p.m. when we are recording this. And Bob Wankel and I, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, are sitting here frustrated, aggravated, and beside ourselves about where the Philadelphia Phillies are today. But at the same time, that frustration mounts not necessarily just from the fact that this team has now lost 13 of its last 20 and now sits three and a half games out of the division and is pretty much you know close to being dead in the water with the way that they are playing. But rather because we saw this coming. We sat here for the better part of the last two months and said, look, there's warning signs. Yeah, they're playing great, but they're doing it with smoke and mirrors. There's warning signs as for what is going to go wrong with this team. And all we did was we took abuse from it from certain people on social media. We had to listen to other people tell you why everything was hunky-dory, everything was fantastic with the Phillies. And we sounded like two dopes in the wilderness. But today, today, Bob, we actually sound like we know a little bit of something about this game. And we wanted to be wrong, didn't we? Desperately. Desperately wanted to be wrong. Uh, you know, this team, this team's 12 games over 500. they They're a game out of first. They're a game ahead in the division. How can you guys spend 35 minutes of a podcast picking this team apart for all of its flaws? Well, this is why. Because things catch up to you. You know, you, you regress to the mean, as they say. Uh, and that is quite simply what we are seeing right now uh, with the Phillies. Um, I, I don't know where to begin. You know, it's, it's funny, kind of life gets in your way a little bit. We always record on Monday nights. Uh, I recently got engaged. I was out looking at a venue today. We, we signed the contract, picked the date and all that stuff. Congratulations, uh, yeah, Bob. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. There's something positive in, uh, happening in my life right now because it <laughs> sure as hell isn't the baseball team, right? And uh, so we had a, a fantasy football draft tonight, and, and so I did that. And it, and it really cut into my, my research time. But uh, the little bit I did, I, I kind of had a pause mid-research today and just laugh to myself and go, how many different statistics and trends and numbers can you dig up that, that paints this team in a, a poor light right now? Um, there's, just not, there's just not much good to say. Uh, there really isn't. You talked about how they lost 13 of their last 20 after tonight's 5-3 loss. Uh, you know, it's just not good. If they lose to Max Scherzer tomorrow, and, and good luck with that, as great as Aaron Nola has been all year, the Phillies don't strike me as the type of team capable of beating Max Scherzer twice in a, in a five-day span. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, 
I wouldn't bet against Scherzer tomorrow, just the way things are going for this team right now, but that, that's a whole different story. If they lose this game, though, tomorrow, that means that they'll have only won one series uh, in their last 10 tries. They are currently 1-6-2 over their last nine series, uh, the one win being a four-game sweep over the Marlins uh, back in the beginning of the month. And, and really, had they not done that, this, this month of August would be a complete disaster for them. They're 11-13 and 13 now in August. And uh, check this out. July 27th, they had a two-and-a-half game lead in the division. Uh, that's when they were out in Cincinnati at the end of July. And, and here we are on August 27th, and they are now three-and-a-half games back. So they have lost six games to the Atlanta Braves uh, over the last 30, 30 days. And, and, uh, and, and the Braves haven't been great. And, and they really haven't <laughs> been. I mean, they, days. they go down to Florida this uh, weekend, and they, they split um, with the Marlins, which is, is not impressive, obviously. We uh, talked they, about that last week, know, though, and, by the way. Yeah, it was, it was like it was coming. But they went out to Pittsburgh earlier in the week, and they, they sweep the Pirates, and I think they gave up two runs over the three-game series. Yep. So, you know, the pitching for the Braves has been uh, fantastic uh, in the month of August, a sub-three ERA, uh, actually the best uh, starting uh, ERA uh, in, in the National League in the month of August, uh, the Braves have been. And, and we'll talk about how that relates to the Phillies and, and how they're trending in the totally opposite direction in a little bit. But uh, it has been ugly baseball. Uh, they don't run the bases well. We saw that tonight, Wilson Ramos in the sixth inning, uh, trying to go first to third on what was a, a, a laughable uh, base running gaffe and a huge situation. It looked like the Phillies might get back into the game. Um, we, they, they certainly cannot catch the ball. Uh, we, we saw that tonight. Reese Hoskins, routine fly ball off the bat of Trey Turner. Uh, he went back on it, and then he broke late. And uh, a ball that would be caught, I would say, by a major league left fielder 95% of the time fell for an yep. RBI base hit. They can't throw the ball <laughs> defensively. You saw that tonight on the uh, bunt by Steven Strasburg. In the, uh, I guess that was the fourth inning. Uh, Zach Eflin had plenty of time on a play to the plate. He rushed the flip uh, and, and airmailed it. And uh, they don't hit. And so, and we've talked about that for months now. So you're seeing a team that is, is completely average in, in pretty much all aspects. And uh, they, are, they are now playing like a team that may finish around 500. Uh, you know, and do, do they go nine games under the rest of the way? No, probably not. But th this probably really is going to end up being that 82-83 win team that we thought it was going to be all along and not a 90-plus win team that, that's going to be playing into October. Nope, you're 100% you're right with that. And, and um, there are issues all over the place. Uh, you, you, pointed at, you pointed out just a couple quickly from tonight with the, with the base running gaffe by Ramos, the defensive error, uh, throwing error by Eflin, the, the poorly played fly ball by Hoskins. But it's everywhere, man. I mean, the lineup is not good. Wilson Ramos has done well. I'm not going to take anything away from him. Um, turned out to be like the one acquisition that's like, yeah, that was pretty smart. Even though he's banged up and beat up and injured, dude can hit. Okay, flat out he can hit. And I, I had, I had expressed a little bit of concern, saying he has been hot and cold in his career. He was playing great, but maybe after a month and a half off, he might not be as good. He's been as good. Okay, so that that's it. You know, and Hoskins continues to be Hoskins, and Roman Quinn has been you know a nice player when he's in the lineup. Aside from that, man, no one else is hitting. No one. And now you're plugging Cesar Hernandez into the number three spot in the lineup, which makes zero sense to me in any capacity. Because can, the guy, can I just stop you there real quick? Doesn't because, hit because you texted me about this earlier. Yeah. But but here's where I'm coming at uh, or coming from on this. I don't care. I don't care that Cesar Hernandez is hitting third, seventh, 
first. You know why? Because the lineup stinks. It doesn't matter how you structure it. It doesn't matter what order you put them in. Kapler's flipped this lineup all around for the last month, month and a half, trying to get this offense going. And no matter what he does, whatever structure he, he puts out there, it doesn't matter. It's the same result because you have hitters that are not hitting. They do not hit consistently no matter yeah. where they're hitting in the lineup. So, I, What if you tried – let me just stop you for one second though, Bob. I don't want to go off on a tangent on this lineup thing because it, it, you're, you're right. In a lot of ways, Kapler has tried any, almost everything. You, you know what they say about you know how you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit? Yeah, I, mean, I know. Well, I know. That's that's where we're at. Yeah, no, I I got it. But what if what if you did one thing that they have not done? The one thing that they have not done is take the players that are hitting consistently and put them in your first four spots in the lineup. I, I mean, as as consistent as possible. So maybe if you go Quinn, um, Hoskins. Or I, I don't. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't put Hoskins too. I like. I like Hoskins a little bit. I like Hoskins three. And you know me. I'm a number three guy. I think three yeah. hitters important. But like you know, Hoskins, Ramos, back to back, and then I don't care. Maybe even put. You know, you. We're both. You know, disappointed in Carlos Santana this year. But the guy does walk a hundred times. Maybe you bat him second, right? Put him in the two hole. It don't matter. The fact of the matter is, is you put guys. You know, Quinn gets on base, somebody else gets on base, and then your two RBI guys, and see if that can do something. Yeah, you got to struggle through five through nine. I got it. I get it. Maybe somebody down there does something. Whatever. But the, but at least give the, the semblance of a section of the lineup where there is not decent player hole, decent player hole. Instead of spreading it out, just bunch it. It's the one thing that he hasn't done yet, and that, that might maybe he will tomorrow for all we know. But that's the one thing I would try at this point. Yeah, I, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you're what? I love yeah. this version of Bob. Yeah, I am, I, yeah you know how like a, a couple weeks ago you're like, it's going to be angry Bob tonight. Well, now you're getting apathetic Bob. You're just getting a guy that I, I, I just want this season to end. I sound like 2009 Cole Hamels right now. You know, like just get me to the finish line here. I feel like that uh, this is not – this is obviously not trending well, and I, I think that this is going to kind of continue, and I have – completely resign myself to the fact that it's over it is over so uh i will say this i mean maybe to your point uh that is something they have not done yet um maybe they will try it i don't think it's going to matter and uh it's a shame because you know what what's been great about this show is that they've been they've been I don't even want to use the word good this season, but they've been competitive. They've, they've kind of ebbed and flowed, but they've always bounced back. And every week that we get together, though we may be critical of them, uh, we, we might nitpick a little bit, but you, you see this team that's very much in the thick of things. You, you see a team that if they just do this, if they can clean this up, maybe possibly they find themselves in the playoffs. And this is the first week, at least – so far as I'm concerned, and I don't know that you feel the same way. I, I think you do. I just have no hope. I, I really, I really think it's over. Well, um, I, 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 okay. So here's here's what I think. Um, I'm going to agree with you probably ninety percent, but I'm going to I'm going to try and be a little bit positive with the other ten percent. I, I tend, you know, look. I've seen, I've watched enough sports in my day that I I know and recognize when a team is in a little bit of a free fall and is falling out of it, right? So I And I do feel that that's where the Phillies are right now. So the, like I said, 90% of me says, yep, Bob, you're right. I think that they're dead and they're out of it. But the one thing that I, I, I can kind of cling on to if I'm looking for any kind of hope is the fact that you're, you're also dealing with the teams that they're chasing are not very good. So they can kind of 
hang around longer even if they're not playing well, you know, if, if that makes sense. And if even if that's the case, you, it gives you more time to try and figure it out and try and, you know, get out of the rut that you're in. They may not get out of it, and they may still be terrible, but the fact is is nobody's running away from them. Yeah, like, I just, I guess I look at what they have the remainder of this series. I know they get Gio Gonzalez on Wednesday, but, again, I, I think that the Scherzer game here, uh, by the time people are hearing this, it'll be tonight. Um I think that that's going to be problematic. And then I see the Cubs coming in this weekend. And I know the Phillies have played pretty well at home uh, this season. And I know that they, they you know, were very difficult and gave the Red Sox a, a couple good games. And, and obviously Boston's an elite team. And, you know, not to say that the Phillies can't win two out of three against the Cubs. But I just I look at the schedule for the remainder of this week and I see Atlanta creating more separation. I, I just don't think they're going to bridge the gap. I, I don't. And I know that it seems ridiculous because people have been very quick to point out, you know, they're only three games back. They're only three and a half games back. They play the Braves seven more times in September. How can you say they're done? And, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the Atlanta Braves are a flawed team. There's no doubt about it. But I just, I just don't see it. I don't see what's going to change. I don't see how this lineup all of a sudden is going to click. Uh, the starting pitching, the thing that has kept them afloat for this long is, is starting to regress. I mean, it's, they, they've kind of pitched to, I believe, a, a mid-four ERA if, if you take out Aaron Nola. The rest of that rotation, Arietta, um, uh, Pavetta, Velasquez, uh, and Eflin have been been mediocre at best in the month of August. And, and so that regression from that group has, has really sunk this team. Where do you see the improvement? You know, if, if that's what you're going to get out of these starters, and this is what the lineup is, and, and clearly I think that there is a, enough data, we've had a large enough sample now to know that this offense isn't going to just pop off for a three-week stretch. It's not going to happen. How do they get hot and, and make up this ground? And that's what I keep coming back to. No, you're right. And it's got to, it's incumbent, as it had been all year, it's incumbent upon, upon the starting pitchers now. So it would have been nice to have another veteran arm that you could kind of turn to and say, okay, it's crunch time. You know, you know how to dig deep. You know how to pitch when, you know, your fastball's not there. You know how to throw those secondary pitches for – for strikes and pain a little bit, and you know, just you get a little bit more creative. Do you have a name um, in mind? Like, was there a guy that the Phillies could have traded well, for? That, I don't want to. I don't want veteran. Or? So okay, so the, the of course Cole Hamels, but that's not. I don't want to say that. So you know, with such a blase at, attitude, because we talked about it on this show before the trade deadline, before he was traded to the Cubs, we discussed Cole Hamels, and both of us agreed that. It, unless you could get him really, really cheap and not, for, you know, not cost yourself anything, it probably wasn't worth it to go for Hamels because he would p- pitch so poorly with the Rangers. Um, as it turned out, the Cubs got him for next to nothing. The Phillies could have easily matched that. Instead, we're focused on trying to get Aaron Loop out of Toronto and uh, <laughs> for the bullpen. And all Hamels has done since is go 5-0 and with a below-1 ERA for the Cubs in his five starts. So, you know, yes, I mean, th- that person. But it didn't even have to be Hamels. It could have been another veteran. Or it didn't. The point is, is that the, the flaw that the Phillies made, and this is, this is from their management, not in the dugout, but upstairs, is they sat there and said, Okay, these guys are all pitching well. Eflin, Velazquez, even Pavetta, he struggled a little bit, but he he was still decent enough. These guys are all pitching well enough, and, and they've never done it before in their careers. But we're going to sit here and say, okay, that this two-month stretch is more indicative of what we think they're going to be 
and they gambled and lost because ultimately that's what happened. Not that they suddenly went in the tank because they haven't. But what right. has happened? What has happened is is they've they've regressed back to being number four pitchers. And, <laughs> and I, not, I guess and I have pitching an like number twos. I have an apology to make on this because uh, I was right there with the, the Phillies front office on this one. I, if you follow me uh, on Twitter or you've listened to this show, it, very obviously I, I've had my share of bad takes this season. And when you when you you're doing it uh, 162 games a year and and you're putting yourself out there, you're gonna you're gonna be wrong from time to time. But I could not have been more wrong about Cole Hamels and. Um, maybe if he comes here, he doesn't, he doesn't do what he's doing with the Cubs right now. Maybe that's what happens. But I just, I really just kind of felt that these kids were turning a corner. I, I know that they were about to, you know, surpass their previous uh, innings limits. Um, I understood that the, the potential red flags that existed ahead for this group. I just, I believed it. Uh, I believed that Nick Pavetta was becoming a more consistent pitcher. Um, I thought that the Vince Velasquez that we saw for that two-month stretch, um, maybe he would regress a little bit, but I, I really thought that he was turning a corner to become a solid number three. And maybe he is, but he's, it's been a bumpy road for him now over the last three, four, five starts. Um, and then Zach Eflin, who let's just briefly talk about what he did tonight and what he did last week against the Nationals. Uh, it's been ugly. And, and Zach Eflin, to me, is the biggest surprise of all because with Pavetta and Velasquez, you understood that there was going to be some volatility there. With Eflin, he really looked like he was becoming this, this consistent fixture in the rotation, somebody that you could feel good about when you turned to him uh, when it was his turn to take the ball. And so now the last two games, eight and two-thirds innings pitched, 18 hits, 18 hits, four walks, seven earned runs uh, in those two starts against the Washington Nationals. He's been a, a disaster, and you even factor in the Mets game. Uh, you know, they lost 24-4 to uh, about a week and a half ago. Game two of that doubleheader, he started, and uh, he pitched into the seventh inning, but he wasn't great in that game either. And if you take those three games, uh, he's uh, allowed 25 hits and 14 runs, 11 earned in 15 in the third innings. And uh, you know what those three games represent, right? What, when did those three games, or what happened before those three games? Was it? Was it when? Isn't that when Zach Eflin was unceremoniously sent down to the minor leagues? And we talked about this. And is there and how it would affect is, him? Is there any correlation? And and I would say that you know, um, yes. I, I certainly get yeah, and yes, yes, I certainly get people saying you know, at, at the end of the day, it's baseball. You got to go out there and you you just got to execute your pitches. But I think that people. That, that think like that tend to oversimplify how complicated of a process and the preparation process is to making a start. I mean, these guys are on a precise routine. They, they like to do things and repeat those same things over and over again. And I, I really do think that they, they stunted, if not his confidence and his psyche, certainly his physical routine. And I think that that is showing up now. Bob, have you ever worked for a union? Uh, yes, I have. Okay, I mean, we don't have to get into specifics, but you have. Okay, so so you know that there are you know when you ha- when you work for a union there, uh, well not for a union, but you know you are in a union and in your company uh, works out a contract with your union for you. Okay, and there are businesses in recent years who have uh, tried to uh, figure out a way to in order to. Uh, prevent people from losing jobs, what they're going to do is they furlough their employees for a week, right, or two weeks or whatever the case might be. And every union employee gets frustrated and mad and pissed. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose a week. You know, I have to take a week off, and I'm not going to get paid for that week, right? 
still have a job, but you you don't get paid for that week. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you think those people feel about their their employer? I would say when that, that would create some resentment, maybe right. some animosity. Sure. Sure. Okay. This is the same thing. This is the exact same thing. So Zach Eflin sits and he says all the right things publicly. Of course he does. I mean, and that's and that's credit to him for you know that he doesn't go crazy. But he did he did say that you know he was going to you know it was not the greatest thing and he wishes it didn't have to happen. And then his agent comes out and he's the one who publicly declares that it's a, that it's something that the Phillies shouldn't have done. And yeah, you know it affected him. And you it, know the agent's not going rogue there, right? No, you know exactly. it's not like he had a conversation with Zach Eflin and, and he says. Uh, yeah, you know, well, Zach actually is totally fine with it, but I'm pissed. You know, right? I mean, that exactly. They they were on the same page there. Yes, exactly. We're on the same page, and so so that's what this comes down to. So the Phillies cost themselves by trying to get creative because because they didn't want to embarrass themselves by sending down uh, Crawford at that point because he had just come off the DL, and they're like, oh, oh yeah, we're going to keep Crawford on, on the team, and Kingry, even though he's been better since in, in limited time. They didn't want to take they didn't want to take the hit on that one because they gave him the big contract and they didn't want to send him down and be paying him the kind of money they're paying him to be back in the minor leagues. So again, th- this is what the Phillies did, and now they hurt themselves with Zach Eflin. Okay, that's what they did. They really did, and they also didn't recognize. You know, one of the things you said you did a major apology on the Cole Hamels thing, and I, I you know, I'm not going to go full blown apology because we had when we had this conversation. You know, I was confident, and obviously we were both confident in Nola, but I still had confidence in Arietta. you know, that he was going to be the guy and, the, and the, you know, a veteran guy. And he's mostly been that guy. He's had one or two starts here and there that weren't great, but he's mostly been that guy. I liked Eflin. I thought Eflin was fine, and I thought he was the, the three guy, uh, the way he was pitching. This happens, and now all of a sudden that changes things. But I remember you asking me a few weeks back, uh, are, you, are you in on Vinny Velasquez? And I told you I wasn't. I told you I wasn't, and he was okay yesterday. He still, but it, yesterday was one of those uh, starts. Uh, this we're talking about the Sunday start now against Toronto. It was one of those starts that reminded me of Vinny from the previous couple years, where he would have an okay start, but he didn't go long into the game because he threw way too many pitches. And that's the thing that I never really liked about him, you know. And then Pavetta. You know we, you know he's been one of my guys all year from the beginning. We were, you know, huge on him at the start of the season, but we talked about at the trade deadline. He's like, you know what? Here's a guy who, if you go out and get a veteran starter, you can move into the bullpen, and his fastball will play as a as a relief pitcher for the rest of the season. And the Phillies decided not to go that route. Well, guess what? This is where they've put themselves. They decided not to focus, and then we haven't even gone to the bullpen. Well, yeah, and, and that's really this is like this is a multifaceted uh, problem here, and it, yeah, you know, we talked about the offense, and we talked about the regression of the starting pitching, and, and then you get into the bullpen. And one thing that the Phillies were great at this season, um, it felt like when they would get a multi-run lead, the game was over. It was like a foregone conclusion. Hey, you know, the offense actually scraped together some runs tonight. They're going to win the game, and then that was really their formula. Uh, when they when they would piece together some runs, the pitching was good enough to hold that. Uh, and and here we are now. They lose a four one lead last Tuesday in Washington. Uh, they blew a three nothing lead, I believe, on Wednesday night in Washington. Uh, they were up five nothing on Saturday. And and let me tell you something. The game on Saturday that they lost to the Blue Jays, it was so bad. It was probably the worst of all of the losses, I, I would say. But 
I was almost desensitized at that point. After, after Tuesday night and after Wednesday night and what we saw there, I just kind of went, yep, that's about right. You know, like I, I didn't have any anger left. I didn't have any frustration left as I watched them just give that game away. Um, and I think that that – and I kind of almost wonder – from a psychological standpoint, we use the word resilience with them uh, numerous times this season. I just wonder how many gut punches a team like that can take and, and keep getting back up. And I just think to have three of them in, in a, a week's time with the, the stakes being what they are now, and I think that they hear the skepticism. Like I think that they're not using the, the skepticism and the criticism as fuel. I think it's starting to get to them a little bit. I think that they, they know that this city's not really behind them. I think they know that most people don't believe in them, and I think that they are playing like a team that's questioning themselves right now. And I think the manager, who I've defended, staunchly defended uh, this season. I, I've really kind of taken the onus off of him at times when things haven't gone well, and you know that. And I, I would say I've almost been a borderline apologist for Gabe Kapler. He seems to me to be managing this team now in a way that lacks confidence, and th that's my read on it. You know, it was interesting. You know, so we, you mentioned Saturday, right? And um, uh, after the game, uh, he was questioned directly by Jim Salisbury. And Salisbury, like, asked them three different questions related to the same thing. And then Batalico responds on the postgame show. But he was talking about, you know, um, Pavetta is now in pitching into the seventh inning. He had, he had a pretty good first six innings. He got touched up that in the third, but, you know, bounced back for a solid fourth, fifth, sixth, um, and, and had that two-run lead or three-run lead, I guess, at that point. Um, and then they have the lefty coming up, that kid, what the heck was his name? Um, Mc, McKinney. McKinney, yeah, Billy yeah. McKinney. Um, and Avalon's – the guy you just traded for, Luis Avalon, to be your, you know, loogie, your one-out left-handed reliever to go lefty on lefty. He's warm in the pen, and he decides not to go to Avalon and let Pavetta pitch to McKinney. McKinney hits the home run, right? Um, and so afterwards, he's asked, his response is, well, the Blue Jays have Randall Grichik on the bench, and we don't want to have them go to Grichik against Avalon. So now, now the question is, are you really concerned about Randall Grichik, who's hitting 220? <laughs> coming off the bench, okay, in the sixth inning. So now you're going to force them to use a player in the sixth inning, and you're really worried about at him coming in against a fresh arm out of the bullpen as opposed to uh, a kid who's you know swinging the bat pretty well against Pavetta, who's now probably at the end of his start. And, and Kapler decides not to do it. Batalico says after the game, you know why he didn't make that move? Because he didn't want to be second-guessed. Now, whether that's true or not, we'll never know. But if it is true, you can't manage like that. You can't manage as if you're trying to, you know, protect your own, you know, your yeah, own high. But that's exactly you what happens. You have you, to make a decision you, there you have a game, based you have on a game baseball. like Tuesday happens, and, and then you have the game, like how it went down on Wednesday, and I think you start to get in your own head a little bit. I mean, I, I totally think that that's reasonable. And uh, I, I think that that is exactly what you saw on Saturday. I think that Ricky Patalco is completely right in that, that instance. Um, you know, the thing that I look at is that they continue to use Sir Anthony Dominguez in high-leverage situations. They are using him as they used him in the beginning of the season, which is we need outs now 
let's go get it. And, you know, you could make the argument that that was a slam dunk obvious choice when you go back to May and June. But now when you look at how he's pitched now for, for the last two months, really, I, I don't know that he's the guy that you automatically go to when you really need an out the most. And he killed them on Wednesday night, and he killed them on Saturday afternoon. And I had a feeling, and I said, I, I actually want to kind of break down what Dominguez did. Those first 12 appearances, he didn't give up a run. And certainly, you cannot expect him to, to be that dominant. That level of dominance would have, is impossible to maintain. But when you looked at those first 12 appearances, he allowed two hits, and he had a 0.14 whip, didn't allow a single earned run. His last 29 appearances... <coughs> Pardon me. His last 29 appearances, in 30 innings, he's allowed 16 earned runs, 25 hits, 14 walks, 3 hit batters, 4.80 ERA, and a 1.3 whip. Now, that isn't horrendous. It's not terrible. His ERA is also higher than his FIP. Okay, cool. So I said, I wonder if I took Dominguez's sample of 29 appearances and I compared them to Tommy Hunter's, how would that come out? And so Tommy Hunter in the same stretch has a lower ERA, a 3.56 ERA, and a lower whip, 1.19. Uh, he's allowed less walks, only six walks in that time frame as well. So Tommy Hunter now for almost 30 appearances has been better at keeping runners off base and preventing runs from scoring than Sir Anthony Dominguez. And you know how I feel about Tommy Hunter. Yep. So that kind of goes to show you just how mediocre Sir Anthony, uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez has been for, for really now the better part of two months. No, you're right. So uh, the, prior to Saturday, and I think it was after the uh, was it the loss on Wednesday? Was that when the was that the one, the they blew the three nothing lead? Was that last Wednesday? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it was they Thursday. blew multiple leads in that game because last Wednesday was the Eflin start where you know it was like a slow bleed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So so I guess it's Thursday. I'm in the car, and um, I'm lis- I'm listening to you know Captain Happy Pills on the on the radio. And uh, he w- going through a list. This is before the Saturday game, by the way, where he says, you know, the Phillies have had 12, we counted them up, 12 heartbreaking losses this year where they should have won the game and they lost in such dramatic fashion. You know, and he was talking about, again, talking about resiliency, blah, blah, blah. He just says, could you imagine if just half of them went the other way and then how much better this team would be? Do you think people would be as upset with about the team as they are right now? No, of course. Of course not, right? Of course. Right. If, if, if. But the fact of the matter is. Every is, team in baseball could say that. Yes. Yeah. They've had 12, now 13, because we're going to count Saturday, 13 heartbreaking losses or backbreaking losses, however you want to describe them. And. That's a product of what you have on your roster, okay? That tells you that your team is not good enough. So don't just sit there and say, oh, it was so close to it just being the other way. Guess what? There's a fine line in sports all the time, okay? The worst teams in baseball <laughs> excuse me, still win 40 45% of the time, okay? So there is a fine line. So you got to sit there and, sit and say, wow, we had 13 close losses. Well, guess what? That all that means is you you lost thirteen more games than you 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 might have. You you still lost them, okay? So you are what you are, and we this team is what we thought they were. This bullpen is what we thought it was. This lineup is what we well maybe not originally thought it was, but what we quickly recognized it to be, okay? 
And the starting pitching, as as and we praised it a lot earlier because it was pitching great, but we also cautioned that as they throw mo- the most innings of their careers, other than Arietta, that they might um, start to hit a little bit of a wall. And they have. They haven't been terrible, but they've hit that. They've hit a little bit of a wall, you know. And 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 Nola, The one thing that I've really liked about Nola is he's been able to figure out how to still pitch. When he's and he's not, and we talked about this, he's not throwing as many fastballs in his last two or three starts, and he's still throwing gems. So good, good on him that he's able to identify that. It's, it makes him a special pitcher. But these other guys, they don't have that. They don't. They don't have that ability. At least not yet. And that's the thing. Like you just don't. So, so the Phillies sitting there and they're going out and, and they made they've made six trades since the deadline. Six. That's a quarter of the roster. And. At no point other than saying we need to get a left-handed, a better left-handed reliever, did they really try to address either starting pitching or like legitimate bullpen help, right. not just a loogie, okay? So they, they just ignored that. And that, to me, is a, another major flaw with this, with this season. Like this, if you want to say this season could have been – well, that's something that I think it could have been if you had another starter. If you had, what would have happened, Bob, if they would have traded for a, a, a solid bullpen arm or a legitimate closer at the deadline, and you had somebody to come to come into these games uh, that in the last before, week that, that they knew that you could count on, that you knew would be lights yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, it would be it'd be a great thing to have, right? Now, listen, you're completely right. But the thing that annoys me most, and I have a feeling that this is the thing that, that annoys most people, is the defense. And uh, oh entering God. tonight, it's awful. It's awful. negative 101 defensive runs saved. There are only five teams in the history of baseball with a DRS that low. <laughs> only the 2005 Yankees had a defensive run saved that low and still made the postseason. You cannot win like this. Uh, I with no hyperbole, will say I have never seen a baseball team play this poorly on the defensive side of things as I have seen this team play this year. Well, I mean, it, you, is, it is laughably bad. You just pointed it out. You said there's only been five teams that have been this bad. And I joke when I say this is the worst defensive team I've ever seen. But it very well might be. Uh, it is the <laughs> worst. Uh, I mean, at least by that measure, it is the worst defensive Phillies team you've ever seen. Uh, that, that is for damn sure. Right. And, uh, it, you know, it's just it's, – it's amazing. I mean, they consistently do not make routine plays. They don't make, uh, you know, a slightly, I would say, average to, to borderline difficult plays. They do nothing well. They do nothing well on any part of the diamond. Um, it, and it's just – it's disheartening. You know, you just watch it and you go, okay, well, there's the, there's the big inning that they just gave up because they can't catch the baseball. Um, it's just been – it's been terrible. And it kind of – there was a question that I, I thought, and I really think that this is the most important question because I think pretty soon we're going to stop talking about standings and wild cards and, and division leads and trying to compare this team to others. I mean, if, if I'm right, then – we are about to exhaust that conversation. I don't think we're going to be able to talk about it for much longer. So my question is this, and this is the bigger issue. When you look around at this team right now, this was supposed to be about development. And certainly when you look at the win-loss record, this, is, this has been a big step in the right direction. You have to feel good about the, the fact that they're playing meaningful or quasi-meaningful baseball in what I would loosely term as a pennant chase right now. 
Um, and, and to be in that position is great, considering what they were last year and in 2016, 2015, and so on. But where do you feel like you have answers uh, on this roster right now? You, you probably feel great about Aaron Nola, and you know that Reese Hoskins is a, a star offensive player. But when you go around and you look at all the young players that were supposed to make significant contributions, do you feel sold on J.P. Crawford? He's not even here. Do you feel sold on Scott Kingery? Do you feel sold on Roman Quinn? Do you feel sold on Nick Williams? Do you feel sold on Jorge Alfaro? How about Vince Velasquez? Do you know enough about him? What do you know about Nick Pavetta right now? You thought you might have one of the best closers in all of baseball in Sir Anthony Dominguez. Well, I just made a pretty good case why he's not that right now. So while this team has trended in the right direction, what do you really know about them? What can you really hang your hat on this offseason and say, well, we know we have this, and so going into 2019, we'll get this, and we're going to add to it in the free agent market. Now, is that an overly harsh estimate? Am I being a little bit unfair? Maybe, but I just think that there are a ton of question marks, and, and one thing I figured we would get this season is some questions answered on these young players, and I think that there are just as many questions right now as there were back in March. You're right. And I'll tell you where it's even more concerning because we don't know where a lot of these young players are. We really don't. Um, and the fact that there is such an unknown, I think, will have an interesting and potentially negative impact in free agency. Now, what I mean by that is it's not that I don't think that the Phillies are going to go out and get players that they feel that they need. But I'm not, I'm not as convinced today as I was um, even a month ago, that the big names are coming here. Like, you told, we talked about Manny Machado. We've talked about Bryce Harper. And the Phillies are going to be players, and they're going to throw a lot of money at them. And the, I think that there's gonna, they're going to be in the conversation for sure. For sure going to be in the conversation because of the money that they have. Okay? That said... I'm not on board 100% with them saying, oh, yeah, Philadelphia is the, the destination because they're an up-and-coming young team. There's a lot to like there. Yeah, I, I want to go play with Scott Kingery. I, right, I, I that's the thing. I can't wait to thing. get there to play with Nick Pavetta. I can't wait I, to – the, yeah, the, the Phillies would have been better off, in all honesty, if we could have traded 70 and 61 for 61 and 70, okay, and instead of being competitive in the race – had solid seasons from Kingery and Pavetta and Dominguez and you know guys and, just having Crawford wh whoever Crawford whatever you, you have and I mean even Mike Alfranco right right like, and Mike Alfranco and Nick Williams have had good seasons this is no knock on these guys I'm just saying how do you how do you project them long term right how, do you do you think that this version of Mike Alfranco that we've gotten for two months now three months now is is what you're going to get moving forward is this what we're going to get from Nick Williams who one thing I will say about Nick Williams he has developed he has taken a step forward because you look at his ability to, to work counts now the eye has improved drastically I, I there was a, a post that came out about a week or two ago he has like the highest increase in uh, like diminished swings outside of the strike zone. Like he has done such a good job at really working the zone, not chasing bad balls. That's development. That's tangible, meaningful development on the part of Nick Williams. And, and what we've seen from Michael Franco, he looks like the player we thought he was going to be three or four years ago. But I still don't, 
I don't put them in pen in my lineup in 2019 and say, we know we're going to get this from these guys. Right. No, you're right. Um, I, I, I think, if anything, Franco has done the Phillies a favor in the sense that he's now made himself marketable for the offseason. Yeah. That's what I think. And, and one other thing to, to that end, this is not to – because we've spent plenty of time or I've spent plenty of time doing this this season. This is not a further knock on Carlos Santana, but you, you might feel great about Reese Hoskins' future in this organization, but I will say this. He cannot come back as your everyday left fielder next season. He can't. You, you know, it's, just, it's not just the eye test. It's not just, well, I, I can't believe he didn't get to that ball. I mean, the numbers support how awful he is as an outfielder. And I know that when the team put him there, they knew that there were going to be some struggles, but I think they felt that he would be competent or quasi-competent in left field. I don't think in, ever in their wildest dreams, in, in the nightmare scenario, did they think he was going to play that poorly in left field. He has terrible reads on the baseball. He has no range. His arm is blech. And it just, to me, it has been a, a, a very, very large concern for this team all along. I mean, he's negative 21 defensive run save, which is the worst of any left fielder in baseball this season. And he's been pretty much the worst defensive left fielder all season. Uh, this isn't like something that just like jumped off the charts lately. Uh, he's been consistently bad. I just don't see how they can justify Carlos Santana's existence in this lineup and have a guy like Reese Hoskins play left field for them any longer. That it has to be fixed. Uh, I don't know that they'll do it. I don't know that they're going to make that that admission that this isn't working. I also know that it's a real bad look to trade a guy like Carlos Santana after one year into a three-year deal worth $60 million. I know that people around the industry probably would raise an eyebrow at that. But I just even, – even somebody like Hoskins that you feel great about, there are questions with him as well. And uh, that's the thing that kind of concerns me most now. As I start to get less aggravated about the standings, I start to become more concerned about how this translates to next season. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a lot of question marks going into the offseason. they gotta, they got to figure out a lot of – there's a lot of juggling that needs to take place. You know? Um, and because, do, you you know. Trust, do you trust this team's decision makers to, to get it right? And, and that's really what it comes down to because you just talked about all these acquisitions they've made over the last month. How many of them have panned out? You know, Wilson Ramos has certainly done a nice job in the limited amount that he's played. Uh, but, but other than that, you know, what has this front office done that's really instilled confidence that they're going to be able to spend this money correctly uh, that they've been given to, to play with? We, we all assume they're going to go out and spend the big bucks this offseason. Are they going to do it correctly? Do they have the ability to close deals? Do they have the ability to close the right deals? Um, do they have ability to, to kind of rework their roster? Can they get creative and, and find a trade partner for Cesar Hernandez, which they probably should have done this past offseason. If you didn't think he had trade value last year, well, wait until you see what he looks like this year. And who's playing yeah. second base for you next year? Is it Scott Kingery? Is it Hernandez? What are you doing at shortstop? I mean, they've got significant questions that they've got to answer. And, and that's the thing that I find a little bit disheartening about this. I agree with your assertion that 61 and 70 might be the preferable outcome if you had more answers on some of these younger players. Yeah, I mean, really, I, I, I'm looking at it right now. And, and I look at all eight of your positions. Is any one of them a lock for next year? No. Can you look at any one of your positions, any one of your eight positions right now, 
and say, I know who the starter is going to be at this position next year? No. No, not at all. Um, and in fact, you know, we haven't even really talked about Odubel Herrera. Um, it, it, to me, when you look at his contract, the money he's making, I would be very – I'm very interested to see what the Phillies do with him this offseason. I, I always kind of thought, and you know, we've talked about Herrera and his perception in, in this city and, and all that, you know, repeatedly over the last few months. I just wonder – his contract is so tradable. I I just don't know that he's going to be here next season. I, I really don't. Do we know if any? That's what I'm saying to you, yeah. though. I mean, we know Hoskins is going to be in the lineup somewhere. Yes. But where? Is he going to be first base or left field? We don't know. I, I would venture a guess that, that Scott Kingery will be in the starting lineup come 2019. I don't know where he's playing, but I, right. I think he's going to be in it. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I mean, is that, Wilson Ramos here, is it, is it going to be Jorge Alfaro? Does he make a jump in the offseason? They're going to have to take a leap of faith on some of these guys. You can't replace everybody, you know. Right. Uh, I, at least and I don't I'm, think you can replace nor everybody. Do I, nor do I expect them to replace everybody. But the question is, is which ones do you – are you willing to take that leap of faith on and which ones are you not? And I'm not certain that we can answer that question right now. I am really not. And that, that's, that's why I say I'm concerned that – when, when Manny Machado is comparing, you know, contract offers from five teams, that while the Phillies' money might be right, the situation, you might look at it and say, oh, jeez, I don't know if that's the right place. Bryce Harper, same thing. He might look at it and say, yeah, yeah I like playing in that ballpark, but boy, I, what do they got outside of Nola and, and, and Hoskins? I don't know. I think that that, it, you know, clearly you know? it's going to come down to money. I, I think that some of it has to do with what type of personality do you have or what, what motivates you. Like, being that guy that gets the deal, you know, do you have that type of, um, I don't know, pride? Like, do you have that type of ego? Like, I signed that monster deal. That's part of it. But then the other part of it is, and now I'm going to go to a place that hasn't won in recent seasons, and I'm going to be the guy that gets them there. And like, do you want to be that player, or are you happy to kind of just take your money and, and be in a clubhouse full of other all stars? You know, like if you're Manny Machado right now, like, do you go to the Yankees, uh, you know, where who he reportedly really wants to play with, and just become one of many big name guys and just kind of fade into that that culture? Or do you come here and become the guy? Like, what do you want as a player? And I think that part of that, you know, there's going to be some part of the decision that factors that that scenario in. Sure, sure. But I, but what I'm telling you is, is that when you when te- when players look at situations and look at those things, they have to. They're going to try and say, well, who am I going to be playing with? Like, and that that will be a very significant part of the decision-making process. Um, yeah, money is always number one. But if you're lo- talking about similar contracts, then, you gotta, then you're going to look secondly, who am I playing with? Who am I playing for? You know, what, what's, that, what's that situation going to be like? And then if there's still kind of a tie, I think then you sit there and say, okay, am I going to be the man or am I going to be one of many? Right. I think that that's the third thing. I think it's a legitimate thing. I think that happens a lot. Um, but I think those are the three steps that that guys take when they make a decision as to where they're going to play or where they're going to sign in free agency. And I'm whereas a month ago I kind of felt like the Phillies team might be a lot more attractive in the offseason. Now that we're seeing what's going on there, I'm not as convinced as I was. Well, then. it was like I the still- primary argument for trading for Manny Machado was get him in here, let him see how great it is, like you know, let him see what a pennant 
pennant race in Philadelphia looks like. Could you imagine Manny Machado standing at shortstop tonight for this Phillies team, looking around <laughs> at the stands, looking around at what? I don't know how many people were down there, but it certainly didn't look very filled. Uh, you know, watching this team play the way it has over the past few weeks, I mean, maybe Manny Machado makes the difference. Maybe he gave them some jolt of energy uh, around the trade deadline, and there are five games over 500 in August. You never know. These are all hypotheticals, but I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be real impressed by, by what you're seeing out at the park right now. Bryce Harper standing out in right field tonight. You think he's looking around going, man, I got to get here. You know, this is where I want to be. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, don't, I don't think so. I really don't. So that – and again, though I don't think it's going to happen, uh, you have to state the obvious – Maybe they flip a switch. You know, maybe they just they play out of their minds for the next month, and and all of this is for naught because they they become this young, exciting, electric team, and all these, you know, these kids that have been disappointing or up and down, they finish strong, and and we have a totally different outlook going into the all season about this. I just <laughs> I just doubt that. You know, at this at this point, so yeah, well, right. it is what it is what it is, Bob. It's, it's, you know, we, we've been saying it for months. It, we can actually crow about it for once, you know, and, and hopefully people are listening and said, you know what, Anthony and Bob are right. They've been saying this for a long time. You know, we had taken a shot at, like, uh, Joe Giglio, right, because he is, he is just – I I don't know. You actually I, like, said his name. I, yeah. I, call, I, I, I called him Mr. Happy Happy Pills. Like, I, so he's so positive. I'm almost – I'm impressed by it. I, I really am. I kind of I kind of envy it. And I don't know if he genuinely believes the stuff he says. Like, when he, when he tweets this stuff out, I think he's – I think he knows that it's kind of um, exaggerated and kind of – borderline ridiculous some of the things that he's tweeting out there but I think he, he's just on that hill now right and so like that's his stance he's like I'm going to be the positive guy this is my thing nothing against him I, I wish sometimes that I could watch the game and feel that way like well you know it's all okay or you know it's there's always a positive spin and I kind of find it in a way a, annoying if, I, if I'm being completely honest but I also find it somewhat like refreshing sometimes I need that you know like I get so down and I get so agitated and angry that like when I stop seeing positive tweets from from Joe Giglio I go oh god it really is bad you know like and even guys like Corey Simon, who I think do a great job he I feel like has taken a little bit more of a negative slant lately, as he should, because the team isn't playing well. But I, I, sur- I sort of look to some of these guys as like the pick-me-up. Like, okay, ground me a little bit. Like, give me something that I can feel a little bit better about, because right now I'm, I'm pretty beat up or I'm feeling down about these guys. Whereas I think if you follow me on Twitter, you go, I, I want to see what that crazy asshole thinks right now because – you know, I'm pissed too, and he's going to speak for me because I, I see that he is annoyed. Like, I'm that guy. So, yeah. and lately, all the positive stuff has just completely ceased. It's, it's, it's over, you know? Yeah, well, so this, this is what happens when you go all in, right? I mean, this is what happens when you take a stance and you take a strong stance on something, and then it, it kind of backfires, and you have no choice. So you, you, either, you have to... You know, in in Joe's case, he had to go positive as long as he possibly could until it got to a point where he knows it's ridiculous to go positive, and then he goes radio silent. Or, in your case, as you pointed out, he has been a little bit more negative as he should. Um, 
and and you are definitely, I think, fairly uh, the the voice of the fan. There's no doubt about it. You you go with the the fans' emotions, <laughs> like you that you are the you are the fan, and that's good. That's the way it should be. You you express when they're playing great, you have good stuff. You feel positive about them. When they're when they're playing terrible, you come out and say it. I I like to be the 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 guy in the middle. I always do. I always like to be the hedger. When they're playing poorly, I'll sit here and say, yeah, but. And when they're playing really good, I'll be like, yeah, but yeah. kind of thing. You know, and that's and that's fine. And that's, you know, we all have our our role. We all have our chair that we have to sit in, right? And that's fine. Um, but that's and, – and I think that that's what makes for good baseball conversation. But you can't, you can't sit there and be, like, completely one side and then – Automatically say, well, 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 what happened when you know, and criticize the people who were on the other, you know, doing doing it the other way, and then when the other people are right and say, oh, well, what, what's going on? Oh, no, no, you know, you can't, you can't be that person. You have to recognize it. And just they say, you know what, I was wrong, or you know what, they were right. That's all. Uh, that's like that's, that's earlier tonight. I'm like, oh, you know, I I blew it on the Cole Hamels thing. Couldn't have been more wrong about that. You know, uh, it's funny. I I actually just kind of pulled up his uh, timeline real quick. I just. Wanted to take a look about like what what happened tonight. <laughs> he tried, man. Uh, Roman Quinn reminds me of Kenny Lofton running the bases. Was a tweet from him earlier, uh, and also I enjoyed this one. Um, Roman Quinn RBI triple, Cesar RBI single, Kapler one, lineup critics zero. That's that's. <laughs> But listen, then he comes back and he says, "If there's a worse defensive outfielder in baseball than Reese Hoskins, I'd like to see him." Like. There you go, Joe. There you go. Like, welcome to the dark side, man. Like, that's you're right. <laughs> yeah, he's right. But, it, but that's the thing. Like, he'll only criticize certain people. Yeah, but now you know what? Like, I will say, like, I, with him, I, I think that Joe. Uh, I think that Joe knows baseball. Like, I think that Joe knows baseball. I just think that he he clearly has dug into this. I'm going to be positive thing, and you know, that's just what he's going to hold on to. That's what he's going to do. So it's good. It's working for him. You know. So can't can't fold them there. Uh, I don't know, man. I just the the whole thing, the whole thing. I I just feel beat up. I really do. This depresses me. I dreaded this tonight. Usually I look forward to getting together and doing this show, and uh, I just I'm like I don't I don't really want to talk about this right now. All right, fine. Then let's go. Let's go to one last <laughs> yeah, thing. Let's wrap this up. All right. Well, I actually have two last things. One of them's really quick. That's why I have two. Um, I just wanted to I just wanted to mention because I thought it was absolutely freaking hysterical. Um, with uh, I'm, sh- I'm not sure if you saw it, but on Friday, uh, Verlander uh, went into a, a restaurant in L.A. Justin Verlander went to a restaurant this, in L.A. Yes. and the the um, waiter put the uh, on there like a, an open item and charged him one million dollars and put then labeled it as Dodger Killer. <laughs> I thought that was great. I just think that that's awesome, and I think you know Verlander playing along with it and having fun with it. I thought it was a really, really cool thing. Good on the on the waiter. Good on Verlander. I just wanted to throw that out there as you know, there's something positive going on. You in mean the baseball of all this can be fun? Thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, it could be fun. It could oh, be fun. Man. That's really cool. That's really cool. The one the thing I wanted to talk about, um, you know, uh, in the in the since we've um, talked last, Major League Baseball put out its its schedule for next year. Um. And it's all and it's typical. It's a, you know, a lot of a lot of things that they're promoting. Oh, they're going to have a series, you know, the series in Japan, and um, oh, we're going to play in Europe. And now they're going to play a series. 
Red Sox and Yankees are going to play in England for whatever reason. Um, there's a lot of different things, you know, uh, that they're, they're, they're talking about. But they're getting all excited. Oh, opening day is March 28th. Didn't we learn our lesson this year? Did we not learn our lesson this year? What is, what is going to happen if we decide to start playing baseball in this country in March? Yeah, I need Northeast baseball on March 28th. I mean, really. It's ridiculous. And the argument is, this is the thing that kills me the most about it, is they say, oh, well, it's part of this four-year agreement that we made with between the, you know, the players' union and the league to try and get more you know, additional off days on the calendar. Well, here's what I have to say to that. You could still put off additional off days in the calendar and not start March 28th. You know, like, it, would it be ridiculous? And tell me, if, tell me if I'm going way off the, off the rails here. But would it be ridiculous to tell each team, hey, we're going to schedule you with two per season per team day-night doubleheaders in the middle of a series in some city. You'll get one at home and one in another and one on the road. We'll schedule them. So this way, you could still get two additional off days in the season and just not have to start at the end of March. Like, is that... I, I think to, baseball players treat doubleheaders like they're a cruel and unusual punishment. Like, yes, I, they I really do. do. I mean, they can't they do, do it. They can't do it in the middle of a, a, you know, their current contract. That's something that would have to be negotiated in. Eh, you can always change. You can always, if both sides are agreeing to it, you can always change language. I don't think in they would contract. agree to it. I, I think that players, you know, it's, it seems like players are staunchly against that for the most part. Okay, but, but here's the here's what ends up happening. You're going to play these games in March, and bad weather is going to end up canceling them. And you know what's going to happen? You're either going to lose an off day in the season, or you're going to end up playing a doubleheader anyway. So yeah. why not just why not try and help yourself up front? The uh, beginning of the season is real choppy. They actually have three days off uh, the first eight days of the season. So they like they open up with Atlanta on uh, March 28th. Then they're off that Friday. That I always hate that. Like you wait so yeah. long for the start of the season, and you're like, all right, it's back. And then you have a, the off day right away. Uh, so that 29th would be there in case the 28th was postponed. Then they're off uh, that following Monday, and the, also the following Thursday. So it's it's a really staggered schedule. And I you know I get that they're leaving a window there in case of poor weather, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think that's ideal. I, I also don't think it's ideal to, to play home games in the Northeast in March, ever. Uh, it just That's not good. Um, you know, I coach baseball, and that's, that's, we've talked about that a couple times on the show. And you, you get out there in March, and, and there are certain days where it's, it's 40 degrees. It's, it's absolutely miserable. And then you'll get your days where it's, it's nicer. But the, the inconsistencies and unpredictability of the weather, particularly in that month in this area, uh, it's, it's not ideal. I'm a little surprised they do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And, and the thing of it is, here's the other thing that I have a problem with. You're going to start this early, right? Why then would you put a bunch of games in, um, in the Northeast or in cold weather cities? Like, wouldn't it make more sense? All right, look, we're going to start early, but if we're going to start early, then we have to start in warm weather cities or places that have a retractable roof or a dome. Yeah. Right? I mean, wouldn't that make more sense? I, I, you know, I, the fact that there's going to be Philly's opening day on March 28th is, is, fla- is flabbergasting to me because you know what the weather was like on March 28th this year? 
Do you know? Are you yes, setting I this up? It, I, okay. I, I have it. I, I, have it right in front of me. I did not research that actually. It, it was it was forty four degrees. That's, that's nice. It was forty four. Okay. Now is that ideal no, for a? You know, and the hist- historically it averages forty eight. But we also in that same week had snow. <laughs> like I mean, so so that day was forty four degrees. Not the greatest weather. But we had snow that week. So, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, why do this? Why, why run this risk? The players can't. They're are they going to just cross their fingers and hope that it's okay? I don't. Well, know. as you know, I mean, baseball tends to get these things right all the time. So, I mean, are you really? <laughs> you're not really surprised by any of this, are you? I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I just, it just, it just bothers me that yeah. I, I think that there is a lack of common sense. In so t- are we not going to see you down at the yard opening day next year? Is that your you know, and I like to go opening day every year. I do. I like going. And this is not a – I mean, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that it's going to be a nice day in March 28th. But, I mean, come on. You know, I, that's – I'm with you. You early. definitely have a little bit of, like, old man shakes fist at cloud thing going on here. But well, I'm, I, I'm definitely shaking you. my fist yeah, at a cloud. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> it, might, it might have snow coming out of it, too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And that's the thing. I, I just wish that if you're going to start that early, like, just have – use more common sense. Just play, don't play in, in cold weather cities, nope. cold weather outdoor venues. That's all. That's all I'm asking. I, I don't think it's a lot to ask, but – Whatever. So that's it, Bob. That's all, that's all I had for one last Yeah, thing. and I just hope that when we talk next that, uh, that Jose Bautista is in a Phillies uniform because I think that that will be the move that, that really turns the <laughs> tide for this team. Yeah, I know, right? Jose Bautista, that, that sometime in the next 48 hours, he's probably going to be on the team. I don't know what the Mets uh, – I don't know. The last report late this him. afternoon, yeah. right, was that the Mets were – they had a steep asking price for Jose Bautista. <laughs> right. Yeah. And apparently the Rosenthal's report was that the Phillies actually were trying to get him in July. Yeah. Oh, man. So they were interested in Think him Think about before. how that really would have shifted things here. <laughs> Why? I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess he's a, he can hit a home run from the right side, I guess. I don't know. That's good. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I'm done, too. All right. Yeah, You're right. I'm out of here. We're at a minute one, or an hour, hour and one minute. I'm it's, out. It's time, it's time to wrap it up. All right. Uh, final, uh, thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. Follow me on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. Uh, Bob Wankel is at BW Crossing Broad. Check out the rest of the shows on the Crossing Broad podcasting network, uh, including Crossing Broadcast, Snow the Goalie. Hey, by the way, I'll be interviewing a uh, Flyers player uh, tomorrow, actually, and uh, for Thursday's edition of Snow the Goalie, it'll be with... Uh, um, uh, sometimes made a pro goalie, sometimes minor league goalie, uh, Alex Lyon, uh, will be joining us on the podcast. Um, and then there's also the two soccer podcasts. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia and crossing broad FC. Uh, so check them out as well. And, uh, Bob and I will be back with you next Monday and who knows how much more miserable we're going to be with the, with the Phillies after the rest of this national series and a weekend series and weekend visit from the Cubs. Maybe maybe talking about a Cole Hamels Aaron Nola matchup next Sunday neither pitcher has been announced for each team both would be on four days rest uh, but there's an off day in there which could throw uh, throw a wrench into those plans I don't know how the Cubs could come into Philadelphia and not ha- let Hamels start a game here I'd be, be crazy but we're rooting for it we hope it's Nola against Hamels we'll see uh, but thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next week <laughs>